Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, enjoying just spending time in the book of Isaiah. You know, there's so much in the book of Isaiah. Uh, sometime back, Derek and I were talking about, Pastor Derek and I were talking about um, spending some time together studying the book of Isaiah and preaching through that and, and uh, realized, man, if you go through everything, you know, chapter by chapter, you could be there for a few years. And so we're taking a little bit more of a highlight would be more what I would say approach. Um, this is the third message that uh, we're into, and today we're going to be covering primarily uh, the prophecy and the effect on the people of God from chapter 7 through 12. And that, that's kind of grouped together for a reason. It does fit together, and we'll see that as we go through that. And the concept, really, that we're being uh, informed of in the Scripture is that God is going to bring a new king uh, and that that is going to be the fulfillment of a promise that he made to his people. And we're looking at that as a whole. And it comes in a unique setting that God is speaking to Ahaz through Isaiah so that he can inform him about what's to take place and how it would affect them in their immediate time, but then also how it's going to even affect us and has affected us. We're going to start with the verses that we looked at together with the kids just a moment ago in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. I want you to think about this title, okay, these titles we're looking at. And how impossible it would be for these titles to reference a normal human being. Now that's, that's pivotal and it's key. I'm pausing here because I understand uh, there are people known as the Jewish people that don't believe the prophecy about Jesus the way we do. Did y'all know that? <laughs> okay. And, and that group of folks want to look at this passage differently than we do. And they'll, they'll want to say that somehow maybe it's relative to Hezekiah. And that they're just, you know, kind of phrases applied to him and his position of delivering the people of Israel later. But I have to stand in disagreement there because of the titles that we're talking about. Wonderful counselor. And if that one messes with you a little bit and you think, well, Hezekiah could have been that. How do you deal with the next one? You don't. <laughs> you don't. Pretty clear there. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Hey, how about some deity of Jesus right here, right? Prophecy coming here, Jesus. We've been talking about that in, in elder body a little bit. And there it is, a reference to him. Reference to the coming of the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords that we know now. And now here called Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. We understand that title. We've seen it before. Let's go on. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and for how long? Forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so that's the prophecy given to Ahaz in the midst of the context that Isaiah is speaking to him. Now you got to know a little bit about Ahaz. 
You know, in the verse uh, in chapter 7 that we're going to reference in a little while, there's an implication there that maybe Ahaz is a pretty good guy. He's asked to ask for a sign from God, and he's like, oh no, I'm not going to test God that way. Gives you this idea that he might have been a good king. I don't want you to be deceived. He was not a good king. And let's go to Second Chronicles, and it gives you just an in insight about who Ahaz was. This should be Second Chronicles, I think. Chapter two. I might have typed in the wrong one. It's very likely that I did that. I did do that. I can tell by reading it. So go with me to Second Chron. There you go. Thanks. Isn't it great to have Stephen in the sound booth? Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. <laughs> Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He didn't uh, do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. Now, was David Ahaz's father? Way back. His father, David, hidden lineage, okay? Not his literal father. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, was Ahaz a king of Israel? Nope, he was king of Judah. But the people of God was Israel and Judah. And the people of God in Israel, which were a problem for Ahaz, we're going to talk about it in a minute, that were creating a, you know, a pressure on Ahaz and the people of Judah. But Ahaz was just like him, is what it's saying here. He, he wasn't a good king. And so he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Think about that. You know, those are gods that the Gentiles, you know, served and worshipped. He made images to them. Let's go to the next verse. Here's how good a king he was. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Wow. What about this next part? And burned his sons in fire according to abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. Not a good king. So here's what's going on with Ahaz, though. And, and this is what God's using Isaiah in uh, the life of Ahaz for, and also to bring a prophecy for us that will be fulfilled for the Messiah. We find in, in Isaiah that Ahaz was concerned about Aram, Armenians, uh, Rezin, I think, is the king, and he's, he's concerned about him, and I think it's Pekin, something like that, who was the king of Israel at the time, and they're, they're creating an alliance together. And they're going to come against Judah. Take them out. And so Ahaz is a little concerned about that. And Isaiah comes to prophesy to him to say, hey, chill out. And now this is the way Chris Reber interprets it, okay? This is, thus says Chris Reber, not the Lord. You've told me said that many times. But I'm going to try to picture it for you if you can, if you go through me. He, he then goes, uh, uh, Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, just don't worry about it. Chill out. This thing's not going to happen. Now, evidently, Ahaz doesn't really believe him. The reason being, he then says to Ahaz, well, ask God for a sign and he'll show you. And that's when Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't put him to the test. Kind of wanting to sound spiritual about it all. And then Isaiah comes back saying, hey, it was God telling me to tell you to ask for a sign, but since you're not willing to, let me just tell you, not only is this not going to happen, but your kingdom's going to get toppled too. And you'll no longer be the king, and your lineage won't last either. But let me show you and tell you what's going to happen. And so then Isaiah begins to give him some of the prophecies that will take place. 
So he lets him know that Assyria, who is a rogue nation, not under the kingdom of God, is going to come in and, and take over, wipe out Israel, wipe out the Armenians, and you're going to get affected too. He's going to take your land. After it's all over, he's going to turn on you. And then when he does, you're going to become a suffering, repressed people. Just as Israel will no longer be a group. After this time, we don't have kings of Israel. They're done. But Judah will still exist. But after a while, they're going to be pressured too. Later on, we know another part of the prophecy is going to be fulfilled by the Babylonians. So all kinds of history is taking place here. And he's setting up for them all that's getting ready to happen to the people of God. But later, we see also he's giving them a prophecy of what will take place for the Messiah to come. And in the midst of this thing that's taking, uh, taking place, there's going to be a remnant that happens. That, I mean, that, that stays committed to God. Now, among the people of Israel, he tells them that they are going to, you know, be kind of wiped out. And the way that Isaiah tells it to him, he says, we're going to cut off the head, and God's going to cut off the tail. And most people see that as a reference to the leadership and to false prophets that were going on in the midst of Israel that day and time. And so in a sense, what God's doing is he's, he's making a cleanup effort among his people and letting them know also that he's paving the way for the coming of the Messiah. Now, they thought that would, you know, maybe reference to Hezekiah later on, as I told you, but it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. We'll look some more of that in a minute. So in the midst of all this prophecy, Isaiah reveals that God has a greater plan that leads to a people who are led by a new king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. A righteous king who will lead a kingdom of perfect peace. And so in chapters uh, 8 and 9 and 10, 11 especially, you see him giving a picture of what that's all going to look like as you go through the book of Isaiah. So what I want to do here now is just give us a chance to get it in context. And we're going to read a lot of scripture together this morning. We're going to read several places out of this prophecy so that we can get our minds wrapped around what God's doing in the midst of the people and for us. So let's start with 7 verses 10 through 16. Chapter 7 verses 10 through 16. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord God. Make it deep as shield and high as heaven. Can you imagine that? What if God gave you that chance? What would you do? And so what he's telling him, ask for it. Ahaz says, I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. That's because he sounds like a really good king, but he's not. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. It is, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of God? Stop for a second. You see clearly there, Isaiah caught quickly the falsehood of, of Ahaz. And, and he's like, man, don't play with God. God don't play like that. <laughs> well, let's go on to verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, even though you didn't ask for it. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough, uh, at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Now, let me just stop there for a second. There are several places in Scripture that give kind of dual prophecies. 
most theologians think that this is one of those. That there is, and, and as a matter of fact, some thinks it even refers to Isaiah's own son that was soon to be born. And that before he would be old enough, the thing about Assyria would take place right then. But then also we know this has some picture toward Jesus himself because of the reference to Emmanuel, right? So we've got kind of that duality going on. By the time you get to chapter 9, there's not that anymore. It's a clear reference to Christ and the Messiah. And, and let's go to that passage now. In chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, we just read that, but just to reaffirm uh, it to us. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders. This is more than just a reference to curds and honey, right? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Boy, ain't it going to be a wonderful day when that happens? In today's world, don't we need that? There'll be no end to the government or of peace. On the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Then go to chapter 11 and here we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Again reaffirming for us the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the King of Kings. Then a shoot will spring. There you go. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees, but by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will, make, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. Now stop for a second. Think about what just was said. You've definitely moved beyond human capability there, right? Okay, let's go on. Verse 5. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins. Faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Now we know again we're talking about more than normal human stuff, right? Anybody seen a wolf and a lamb lay together lately? It doesn't work like that, okay? Not even Darby will lay with a, with a lamb. If y'all know Darby, that's my, my dog. <laughs> Definitely a wolf's not going to do that. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Just a second before we go further. Think beyond, because this is also stuff that is still to come, right? So we know now the king has come. Fulfillment of Christ, uh, Messiah in Christ. We're going to come back to that. But we also know there's some stuff here that we haven't seen happen yet, right? I mean, I haven't seen these things yet. It's a prophecy that's not fully, completely fulfilled yet. There's more to take place. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. The young uh, will lie down together. They're young. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy at all in my holy, uh, or destroy it all, uh, in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord 
as waters cover the sea. What a day that's going to be. That's where we're headed to. That's the culmination. I'm saying my words carefully here. Carefully. The culmination of the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah that has already come. There's more to come with, what, uh, with, with his kingship and his lordship. And this is what we get to see in the end days when he comes back and he establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Not only do these verses clearly point to a Messiah of deity, but they also fit perfectly with our Lord Jesus when he came. Speaking with righteousness and clarity. No question about condemnation of the wicked and in addition to the, the inward work of Jesus on the heart of an individual that affirms this is who he is for those of us who have come to believe in him. Now let me touch on a couple more things before we go further. And this is where we're going to see how God might want to speak to us specifically in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is in our life and how that applies to our life on a daily basis. The promise that Isaiah was given to Ahaz and the people of Ahaz of that day is that a remnant will experience this king from among uh, Judah and Israel. This king that will come from among them. A remnant, though, not necessarily in their day, but from their people groups, right? And so as we come to that uh, place today, is that true? It is true. There are many Messianic Jews who have experienced the salvation relationship in Jesus Christ. So, so that, that word was fulfilled. There was a remnant that God worked through. And there is still a prophecy to be fulfilled for the fulfillment of uh, the prophecy toward the Jewish people. So that there are some out there that want to tell you that the church today is the replacement of Israel. I'm not one of those guys, okay? I believe that God still has fulfillment promises to the people of Israel that will come culminate in the return of Christ. And so that's going to take place. And so this remnant is still going to get blessed, all right? God's fulfilling this promise there. But even now that remnant that has come to know him in Christ is experiencing this promise. It's fulfilled as, as he promised that it would be. And God has, from the beginning of time, desired to bless his people and fulfill a plan that he had put in place. But it would be for those who would believe. For those who would believe. That's key. Think about that for a moment. The Israelites and we today are in a place of Ahaz, if you really want to think about it. Because in chapter 7, verse 9, Isaiah's response to Ahaz was this. If you won't believe, you're not going to stand. But if you believe, you will. And that's true for us today. You know, we have to come to a place, are we going to accept the testimony and prophecy of Scripture fulfilled in Christ and make that personal for us and experience a relationship with God? And our standing is going to be contingent on that. On our relationship and faith in Christ and, and what He's accomplished for us. Well, Ahaz and the people of Isaiah's day were forced really to, to uh, make a choice. And I would say in today's world, we've got to clearly boil it down to that for us too. 
When it comes to understanding the Word of God and the, and, and the position of the Word of God in our life and the testimony of the Word of God, which is where you hear about God from and where you hear about Jesus Christ as Messiah from and where you hear about the need to have a personal experience with that. And I pointed all that out intentionally because of this move that's happening in the world today that everything's about experience. And don't, don't misunderstand me because those of you who have been listening to me for a long time know that I believe you have to have a personal experience. I believe you have to have a day in which you know you have surrendered your heart to Christ and you know there's a change in you. I'm not saying that you were the worst sinner in the world and now you became good. That might have been you. I was one of those. Charles was one of those. Sorry about that, buddy. And some others around here maybe too. <laughs> But there's also some of those that weren't all that bad. Maybe they were raised in a Christian home and maybe they heard about Jesus all their life and, and when they heard about that they wanted to make a commitment to Him and they gave their heart to Him and, and maybe they didn't turn from really dirty, rotten sinner to a little bit better person but internally they knew something changed. <laughs> That's who we are now. <laughs> we had moved from death to life. And so it makes a difference, right? And that has to happen in everybody, whether you're really dirty or a little dirty. <laughs> it has to happen. Whether you're a big-time sinner or a little-time sinner, you know that's a stupid phrase, right? If you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And we all have that need of a forgiveness in Christ, and so we come to that relationship with Him. But how did we get there? On the testimony of the Word of God. You take away the testimony of the Word of God, you remove the opportunity of the experience. And what's happening today is people want everything to be about experience and less about the Word of God. Why is that? Because the Word of God has some pretty clear directions for you. <laughs> some pretty clear insights about what this life is supposed to look like. And what place of authority this God that you've experienced has in your life. And if I don't have that telling me all that, I get to decide all that, don't I? It's all about how I feel. <laughs> it's all about the experience. So don't miss out on that issue in your life. Understand that, that God wants you to have experience and relationship with Him and new, new life in Christ. But that came from the testimony of His Word that He gave to humanity. And that same Word of God is to have a place of authority in your life that, that directs you and guides you in your daily life. And when you approach the Word of God as a book of suggestions, as a book of maybe this will help me, you're messing up. You have to approach the Word of God as this is God's plan and direction for me. And so I'm going to apply that truth to my life. And in so doing, I honor the Lord. You say, well, Brother Chris, that's hard. I make so many mistakes. You think God's surprised with that? You think God doesn't know that happens? He gets all that. Nonetheless, He calls you to this, this standard I'm about to say. And you're going to say, wow. Be holy as I am holy. Whew. That's what you're calling to me, Lord? Yeah, because I'm in you. And it's possible because I'm in you. You need to be submitted to me. And oh, how often is that going to happen? Just as much as you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Well, will I ever make a mistake on that? Yes. The likelihood and the probability of you walking the rest of this life in 100% submission to the Holy Spirit and never falling outside of that is pretty slim. 
the ability of it to be true was accomplished on the cross. And to the degree and level you walk in the submission to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself walking in a relationship that boggles your mind. Constantly seeing the power of God and changing you and who you are. And so God's done it all in you. He just knows you're in a world that's messed up. That's why he's not shocked when you get to the place of saying, Oh, I don't know about all this stuff. But he continues to fulfill it in you and continues to raise the bar. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus came, all the preaching that he did always was raising the bar? Uh, yeah, I know. Y'all read not to kill each other. I'm telling you, don't even hate each other. I mean, let's go on and on. That's another sermon. Don't, don't throw me a carrot. I'll be in trouble. So, three choices. Let's go back to that for a second. What are those three choices? This is what they were faced with. They could receive and believe the prophecy and just trust God. Our lives are in his hands. We're going to follow him. It's going to be okay. But that's not how it worked. Or they could do what they tried to do, rationalize that this will somehow work out. Maybe it's through Hezekiah. Maybe, maybe we're just going to be fine in the long run and, and we'll just go ahead and still be what we want to be. Because, you know, after all, we're the people of God. So we're good, right? I just said all that in that way because that's the attitude and mentality of many people who call themselves Christians. We rationalize away all the stuff we think is okay in our life, which we know God says is not okay in our life. And we somehow, under the umbrella of knowing that we're Christians, get the attitude that it's not that big a deal, and we just rationalize it away. And that's not good. Or, there's a third response. We could repent of not trusting God and God's way and see the work of God in our life. And when that happens, God does miraculous things. Things that humanity could not possibly accomplish. And that's exactly what he did in the people of Israel who trusted him. And that's exactly what he does in the life of the believer who trusts him. But it requires that third response. This thing, repentance today, is becoming a word that's less and less used among the community of faith. But it's a key foundational word in our relationship with God. God is never going to allow you to respond to him in a, a, a relationship that calls for all his blessing and all his encouragement and all the things that you think you need him to do in your life, separate from the concept of you walking in repentance to the things that are called sin in your life. They go together. And so as we've repented in Christ for the first initial relationship, that's the beginning of it all, right? But as he continues to speak to us in the word of God, we must always carry with us that attitude of turning away from that which he would want us to turn from and walking in submission to where he wants us to go. And that should be the attitude of the people of God. That's what Isaiah was really communicating to them. And, and they needed to trust him. And when Isaiah was kind of, I mean, Ahaz was kind of not acting so cool about all that. <laughs> he, he just laid out where God's headed. You know, sometimes, you, you know, don't you, sometimes in your mind, one of the things, wouldn't it have been cool to interview some of these guys? See, what were they really thinking? I mean, what was going on in Ahaz's mind when Isaiah's telling him, 
as, as Wally Fleur used to say in Louisville years ago, you're messing up by the numbers. You know, could he really catch it? How does this apply to us today? Because in our, in our position, the king has come that was prophesied. He's here among us. You might not think you see him physically right now, but, but he's here among us. In this very room. And at times we have this mindset of, well, what would it be like if Jesus walked in the room? He's in the very room. And we lose sight of that sometime. And as a result of him being right here among us, he's brought light into the midst of our darkness. Chapter 9, verse 2, one of those prophecies. You were walking in darkness, but now you're in light because the king is among us. And how are we receiving that? A child has been born upon whom the government and the kingdom of light rests. The entire government of the kingdom of light, the entire government of God rests upon his shoulders for us. And he is our king and he is our Lord. And how do we respond to that? Uh, uh, he is our wonderful counselor, right? We know he's here and we've experienced that. He is our great God. See, this is all past tense at this point. He is at the same time, get your mind wrapped around this boggling concept, He is at the same time eternal Father. He is at the same time Prince of Peace. He upholds His kingdom in justice and righteousness, not just today, but forevermore it's going to be like that in His kingdom of light. And there's a day coming, it's going to be like that in the physical realm as he sets up the new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth. And we're going to see a lion laying down with a lamb and a wolf laying down with a lamb and all that kind of stuff. It's just mind-boggling. All of this from the root of Jesse that was prophesied and, and it took place. He is the Lord. Hmm. Think about this part. What about all this part in Isaiah chapter 11? I mean, he is the Lord whose knowledge, wisdom and knowledge and strength and respect of the Father came to dwell in human form. And we see what a human can walk like in that context. Seeing how to depend on the Father. Do, have you ever given much thought to that? One of the many things God did for us, I'm saying many things God did for us, in bringing Christ to salvation for, for our behalf, He also presented for us a prototype of how to live as a human being under the full control of the Holy Spirit. That's who Jesus is. That's why we wear these silly wrist, wristbands sometimes that says, well, what would Jesus do? Because he was a great prototype of what humanity is supposed to look like. And we have that before us. He judges. He is doing this. He judges in righteousness. His belt around his waist is one of righteousness and faithfulness. You remember reading on that just a little while ago? In Isaiah 11. He is coming again to establish a new heaven, a new earth. That will have a wolf lying with a lamb. And on and on we can go through that passage. He is our deliverer, but back up, he's also king. He is king and should be respected as king and should be submitted to as king.
and should be acknowledged in our daily life as king. And we should alter who we are in reference to who he is, right? He should have the place of authority and dominion, not us. And we should all walk in such a submitted heart gladly before him. Because never was there a king like this king. Who actually does what he does for the good of those in his kingdom. You know, you take an, an earthly king, does he do that? No, he does what he does to fill his coffers, right? He does what he does to build his kingdom. He does what he does to get those things that will benefit him and, and all those in his palace. But it's not like that with this king. This king does what he does because he loves you and he lays down his life for you. And for that reason, that ought to be enough reason that we would say, I will never do what I want. I will do only what he wants. Because as I do what he wants, it's going good for me. But when it turns out that I'm just doing what I want, does it always go good for you when you just do what you want? I've learned in my life that don't work that way. <laughs> when it comes to me being the guy in the charge and me being the authority and me having the final say-so, it doesn't always work out so well. But when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords sits on the throne in the fulfillment of being king in our life, it works well. And he's honored. I'm here to tell you he's not just an emotional experience. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He, he is a great experience as well. You've got to have that relationship and experience. Don't misunderstand me. But you know there's a move also even in worship. It's just sad. I'm so thankful by the way. To those, to, to Joel and, and Jamel and those who might help them in selecting songs. If you haven't noticed, we're not following into that trap around here of this emotional love affair with Jesus. Some songs out there, that's what it's become. You know, even to the point that some of the songs will refer to Jesus as the man that they can really trust in when other men have failed them. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, there ought to be a deep love relationship with God in the, in the healthy and honest respect of that. But that Jesus would become some kind of emotional love affair is not what God is after for you. What he's after for you is a deep love and respect with him to know who he is in your life and that you can trust him as, his, as the king of your life and that you will respond to him that way. And that the intimacy of your relationship, and you know I talk a lot about that, about intimacy and, and being close to the Lord, but it is, the, is an intimacy of submission and respect and honor, knowing that he loves me that way, not, not a gushy good feeling. But you're okay to have some gushy good feelings. Don't misunderstand me. You get where I'm going with all this. God wants to bless you in the health of your emotions. But he wants you to have that full respect and honor of who he is in your life. Don't diminish it to just a good feeling. That's what's happening in a lot of people's mind today. But don't let that happen. He has come as king of kings and has a game plan for his kingdom. Now that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Because you're part of his kingdom if you've given your heart to Christ. So what place do you play in that game plan for his kingdom? Are you submitting yourself to the teaching of the word that will call you into respect to the king of kings and walking according to the plan of the kingdom? You say, well, where's that plan? 
What do you mean the plan of his kingdom? It's pretty clear. Got a road map. You understand how, why this, this ordained, inspired, God-breathed book becomes so important now? Because to it I can go and find clearly his plan for me. And make application and see the power of God at work. Now here's, here's where I'm going to end today. This is kind of cool to me. Or I wouldn't be saying it. <laughs> so Isaiah is talking to Ahaz. Ahaz has all been out of shape. All the bad stuff's going on in his life. About to be wiped out. Doesn't know what to do. Isaiah says, God's going to take care of it. Just trust him. Now, let's just put ourselves into place. So we're at that place in life sometimes, right? Struggles that we've got. Things that we know God wants us to do, but it's so hard, I don't know if I can. And Isaiah comes along, so to speak, and says, hey, it's going to be okay. Just follow God. Do what he says. I just don't know how it's going to work out. What I, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just put God to the test? Malachi says to do that, right? There's just one example. Sometimes we get at this place that we're afraid to really release things that God puts into our life, our dollars. And Malachi says, hey, trust me, try me, prove me, saith the Lord of hosts. If you do what I say, if I won't just dump a mother load of blessing on you. And you'll find out when I ask you to do something and there'll be a good response, it will always happen the way I say now, we could take that and apply it in a million ways. It's called sowing and reaping. Later on, we see that in the New Testament, okay? And so, here's Isaiah saying that to Ahaz. And he essentially says this to Ahaz, as Ahaz is struggling with the process. Ask God for a sign. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I've asked God to do this for me at times. It's kind of like, we call it putting a fleece out. You know the whole story of Gideon? Maybe you're struggling in some area of your life to, see, to, to move in some direction of submission or obedience or whatever, and you just can't get past it. Here's what I challenge you to do. Ask God to show you something. Just ask him. Say, God, would you give me some kind of direction, something to help me know I'm moving in the right direction? Listen, this is a... How do I say this? This is a, a younger place in the Lord position, to be honest with you. But sometimes we end up back there even as old people, don't we? I mean, because really if we trust God, if He just says it, we do it, right? If we're mature in our faith, He just tells us to do it, we do it. Because we, we have history and experience of knowing it's already true. But if you've hit that wall somewhere in your life and you're kind of struggling, or if you're still young in the faith and you don't know, you're, don't know if you can step to that next place because it looks too hard in your growth of the Lord, then just go ahead and ask God to show you some way to know this is you. I just, I just know this is Him. Let me give you an illustration. 15, 16 years ago. When you get to a big uh, potential problem for a response, you tend to get to that, uh-oh, now I'm a baby again. I walk into this house with a friend of mine. It's like a 6,000 square foot ranch house. Four car garage. He was trying to talk his wife into buy it. He wouldn't buy it. She wouldn't, she wouldn't go for it. 
He's wanting to show it to me. I'm walking through it. And Connie and I, at the meantime, are in the process of trying to scale down in our house at Sussex. <laughs> and it was in the 2008 range. Anybody remember that real estate market? Wasn't a good time. So we've got our house on the market, and we're dropping the price every two or three weeks, not getting interest. We walk in this house because we're hanging out one day. He said, let me show you this house. And I thought, okay, I'll get over there. It's wrapped in tieback, and it's a mess of a mess. I walk in the uh, house in the back door with him because it was unopened. I mean, it was unlocked. It was open. He'd already talked to some people about it. It was okay. We go in, and I get this sense from the Lord. One more time. You buy this house. I'm like, Lord, Connie, you know where Connie is on this? This is not going to happen. <laughs> We've had this. We're done with this. <laughs> And I get this impression one more time. So I'm, I'm walking through and I, I talk to my friend. I said, y'all are done with this, right? He said, yeah, we're not going to buy it. I said, you sure? He said, well, yeah, why? I said, because I've got I've to check this out with somebody, but I think the Lord's just told me we're supposed to buy this place. And uh, so he laughs. I go home and I, I'm thinking, Lord, we'll, we'll see if I'm right because I know one bad deal. And I go in, I tell Connie, I got a house for you coming up. We're not supposed to do that anymore. I thought we were done. You know, I said, just come over to look at it. And we walk. I don't know if you remember it the same way, Connie. I usually mess up the stories. But anyway, <laughs> we go in the back door and we're looking around. And I look at her and say, what do you think? She said, I think we're supposed to do it one more time. Well, there's my fleece. I guess I'm doing it one more time. You know, I would love to have told you that I just knew it and said, hey, we're going to do this, and that's the way it's going to go. But I needed that affirmation, that confidence, and the Lord gave it to me. And he'll do that for you. I could tell you tons of other stories, okay? You got them some too, right? Wherever you are, if you're being impeded in some way in your walk with the Lord, or if you're struggling in some area of your life, just ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me something that will just give me that confidence to move on with you? Now, I know you want to be at the place that you don't have to ask for that, okay? And that's where you really ultimately want to be. But sometimes you need that. And do you think God's shocked with that? Do you think he's surprised? He's not at all. He knows. And he knows. He also knows where we are in our maturity level. And he knows where we are in our challenge stages and all of that. So don't, don't get all bent out of shape about that. Just relax and say, okay, Lord, I need some insight from you. To give me an affirmation. And here's what I have found out. What he's going to do is challenge you to move on to the step of faith. And he's going to show you how it's going to be okay. Now guess what's going to happen next? And it, well, for me, did I, did I after that moment then say, oh that's great. There ain't no way we're doing it. Well, that would have been stupid, wouldn't it? God, would you show me? I hear you, God, telling me I think so. Would you show me? Here he shows me. And my response to that is, there's no way we're doing that. Well, that would have been stupid. There would have been no faith in that. There's no seeking the Lord in that anymore. It's that I've already made my mind up, and I'm just kind of going through this religious routine. If I'm really seeking the Lord, and I'm asking the Lord, and I get the direction of the Lord, what am I supposed to do? Follow the Lord. <laughs> That's the next step. Let's quit playing this religious game that the idea is seek the Lord, ask the Lord, and then do nothing. If you feel like God's directing you and giving you the next step and called you to a place of stretching your faith, take the step of faith. Trust Him. Try Him. Prove
Prove him and see that the Lord of hosts will for sure honor his word and his direction. Anybody ever taken the step of faith that you knew God called you to take and you ended up after that was over and said, boy, that was a mistake. Somebody tell me that testimony. I've never heard it. But I can give you tons of them where people say, this don't make sense. Or this is really hard. I don't know if this is going to work out. But I feel like God's called me to. And they take that step of faith. And boom. God opens the windows of heaven. Not just in some substance way. But even internally. Right? And you see God is bigger than you've ever seen before. <laughs> that's the God we serve. <laughs> that's, the, that's the God Isaiah was trying to help these guys get a, get a vision of. And, and to receive the prophecy for. We're on the... You know, most of that prophecy fulfilled, the rest of it coming, and we just got to get ourselves wrapped around walking in faith and submission to the calling of God in our life day by day by day. And that he gets honored, and we get strengthened, and then we get to be able to share that testimony, right? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.